night that we come, it's amazing when we come in this room that I've noticed people that walk in smile. And it's so fun each night to have the social part of these meetings. But it really addressed a warmth in our church that I'm very thankful for, and I'm thankful for all of you. So I really shouldn't be scared tonight because, well, you're all my friends, right? So our theme is Truth for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. But before we begin tonight's topic, I want to share an important truth with all of you. It's ironic that I attended a family funeral this week. They say it was a massive heart attack. He was only 44 years old. Just the night before, he placed his head on his wife's chest and wanted to talk. Her reply, she was tired. Let's talk tomorrow. Unfortunately, tomorrow never came. Instead, guilt has replaced that moment that she didn't take. We all get in this rut. Friends, you do have the time. And I ask, take that moment and don't get too tired. Don't get into a rut by taking each other for granted, be it your spouse, your friends, your neighbors. It's so important. And don't let pride get in the way. Remember the children's song, with Jesus in the family, happy, happy home. Don't be caught saying, I wish I would have, or why didn't I? Do it now, and do it every day. Now with that being said, would you please bow your heads with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we touch this subject tonight, where do we go when we die? We ask that this message be delivered as you would have it delivered, to learn it as you would have us to learn it, and to keep it and remember it as you would have us. Thank you for blessing this meeting. Thank you for the safety of all my friends. Bless us as we continue to study, for we ask in thy name, amen. Our topic tonight is where do we go when we die? But I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking maybe I should say, where do they go when they die? <laughs> so what happens a few seconds after death? At death, do we join our ancestors? Do we immediately go to heaven or hell? Do we go to nothingness? Or do we go to ghostville? Are we reincarnated to live again? A man named Jerry went into the hospital for routine surgery. While on his bed, he felt himself leaving his own body. He felt like he was floating up to the ceiling. He could look down and see his body still on the bed. After a while, he felt himself being drawn into a tunnel. As he was traveling through this tunnel at an enormous speed, soon he saw a pinpoint of light at the very end. It grew larger and brighter as he grew closer. Finally, he arrived at the source of light, and it surrounded him. He felt warm, peace, and great love. He wanted to stay wrapped in that light forever, but a voice told him, it's not time yet. Suddenly, he found himself back in the room in the hospital bed. Experiences like this are becoming more and more common. Seven million people in America claim a near-death experience. Books on near-death experiences have jumped into the bestseller status 
And so we would ask, what's really going on here? Are these near-death experiences genuine? From a Christian perspective, are they from God? Are they demonic or something else? As we start, let's notice the basic facts about near-death experiences. Fact number one, you can divine death in two ways, clinical death and brain death. With modern medical science, a person can be clinically dead, but their heart can be kept beating. Machines can breathe for people, and they appear to be alive. The screen says none of the people who experienced near-death experiences really died. Let's look at fact number two. Many near-death experiences resemble hallucinations. A professor named Timothy Leary reported that after eating certain Mexican mushrooms, I realized that I had died, that I, Timothy Leary, and the Timothy Leary game was gone. I could look back and see my body in bed. Is there anyone here interested in mushroom picking? A famous author, Aldo Huxley, wrote about taking the drug mescaline. My body seemed to have disassociated itself almost completely from my mind. It was odd, of course, to feel that I was not the same as these arm and legs out here. His body seems to have disassociated itself almost completely from his mind. He said it was odd, and I have to agree with him. These experiences are explained as a mental experience by what a person perceives or what he thinks. What a person feels has happened may not actually have happened. Can you agree? Both Timothy Leary and Aldo Huxley were under the influence of drugs. Here is a simple illustration of what happens to some of us. Have you ever had a nightmare? Maybe like falling off a cliff and waking up terrified? You weren't really falling off the cliff, it just felt that way. Fact number three, out-of-body near-death experiences contradict scripture. Near-death experiences may occur under the influence of drugs or oxygen deprivation to the brain. But we can be confident it really isn't happening. To accept a near-death experience requires us to deny scripture. Scientists can even connect electrodes to the brain to induce a near-death experience. I repeat once again that near-death experiences actually contradict scripture. Job 7.9 tells us, As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. The Bible is plain. When it says that you are actually dead, then you do not return. The Bible does not teach that when you die or when your spirit is about to leave the body, then God says, whoops, I made a mistake. He does not say this wasn't the person's time to die, nor did he say, Go back home, it was my mistake. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. How many times do they die? Once. The Bible teaches when you die, then you never return. Let's go to fact number four. 
Many near-death experiences, or NDE details, are frightfully similar to what spiritualism teaches. I wonder why near-death experiences have become so popular. Could it be that Satan is preparing to deceive people? Near-death experience talks about a tunnel and there's a light at the end. Some people report that they travel through a dark tunnel and are surrounded by loved ones. Look at what spiritualism teaches. J. Arthur Hill has written a book that looks at the characteristics of spiritism. Spiritualism claims the dead are really not dead. He wrote, The fundamental principle of spiritism is that human beings survive bodily death and that occasionally, under conditions not yet fully understood, we can communicate with those who have gone before. I wonder where he got his facts. The spiritualists will say when you die, you are not really dead. They say that those from the grave can actually communicate with the living. A spiritualist in London named Oliver Large says, There is no death in the graveyard. I have frequent talks with the dead. The Bible is the only reliable source of truth because our minds can deceive us. Do you think Sir Oliver Lodge was deceived? So what happens when someone dies? The Bible provides a clear answer. Death is like creation in reverse. Let's go back to the beginning when God created Adam and Eve. Satan in the form of a serpent, came to Eve, and he said to Eve, You will not surely die. But God actually said, If you eat of this tree, then you will die. Satan's first lie was over the matter of death. He said, You're immortal. You won't die. So the spiritualist quoted Satan by saying, You will not die. Another spiritualist wrote, in this, as in many other Bible passages, the devil told the truth and the Lord is in error. He said God was wrong and Satan was telling the truth. Speaking of Satan, John 8:44 tells us, There is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. No one here would disagree tonight, would they? The devil lied to Adam and Eve about death, and he is still repeating that same lie today. Could the devil masquerade as our dead loved ones? Revelation 16:14 reminds us, For they are spirits of devils working miracles. There was a pastor that told this story. Tragedy had struck a family serving as missionaries in Africa. Their small daughter accidentally took poison and died a few days later. The parents were heartbroken at the loss of their little girl. Returning from the funeral service, the mother went upstairs to the little girl's bedroom. In tears and looking out the window, she was shocked to see her little girl walking into the house. She knew her daughter was dead because she'd just buried her a few hours earlier. The front door was locked, but she heard her daughter climbing the stairs. She heard the familiar voice say, I'm okay, Mommy, don't worry about me. Then the mother remembered, the dead will never return to their house again. She knew the Bible says the spirit of demons will work miracles. She said quietly, 
In the name of Jesus, leave. You are not my daughter. And she continued to cry. Instantly, the being in the form of her daughter vanished. The Bible tells us in Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Does the Bible say that God put an immortal soul in Adam? The answer is no. Adam became a living soul, not an immortal soul. So what is a living soul? Is it dust or dirt along with the spirit of breath? Think about it. Death is really creation in reverse. So what happens when we die? Ecclesiastics 12.7 says it very clearly. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Pretty clear, we return to dust. When we die, the body goes back to dust. The breath or spirit goes back to God. So when we die, our soul no longer exists. Many people are confused. They think the spirit and the soul are the same thing. Let's look at what the Bible says in Job's 27.3. All the while my breath is in me, and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. In the Bible, the breath and the spirit are the same thing. When a person dies, the body goes to the grave, and the spirit of life goes back to God that gave it. In Psalms 146.3 and 4, Put not your trust in princes nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. This verse is teaching that we cannot put our trust in mortal men. They cannot save, because their spirit departs. They too return to the dust of the ground. Let's continue to the next text. For his breath goes forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. So let's review once again. When a person dies, his body goes to dust. The Spirit of God goes back to God who gave it. When that happens, his thoughts perish. In the Bible, death is called a sleep or a rest. God preserves your personality and your identity. Then on Resurrection Day, you are re resurrected to be with him forever. The Bible tells us, Ecclesiastes 9.5 For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. How much do the dead know? Nothing. Can the dead communicate with the living? Can Satan imperson a dead loved one? Do you see why the devil wants the church to misunderstand death? He wants to deceive people through his false idea of spiritualism. He wants us to believe we will not die. Psalms 115.7 says, The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Some think when you die, you immediately go to heaven. Now let's suppose that were true. Suppose for the purpose of discussion that your mother is in heaven. And also suppose that your marriage is going sour maybe because of an alcoholic spouse. Suppose that spouse comes into the room and puts their hands on your throat. While choking you, how would your mother feel? 
Or suppose your mother saw your seven-year-old child running into the street. Wouldn't your mother see the car screeching towards her? Is this what heaven's all about? God's way is much better, don't you think? For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know nothing. Repeat, nothing. When a person dies, he is resting peacefully in Jesus. No conscious existence. We know nothing about it. The heartache of life ends and we are not aware of time at all. In the sleep of death, it will seem like an instant until resurrection morning, when Jesus makes all things new. Isn't God's way better? Let's look at Psalm 6.5. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I believe this you that we're talking about is God. Again, I want to repeat that. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? If we went to heaven when we died, we would certainly be praising God, wouldn't we? The Bible says the dead will not give God thanks. There is no remembrance of God in the grave. The Bible is very clear on this. Some ask, don't we have an immortal soul? Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. If the soul were immortal, could it die? No. The Bible is very clear. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. According to the Bible, can a soul die? Yes. What is the soul? It's a living creature. It isn't immortal. Let's look at these two words, mortal and immortal. A mortal being is subject to death. An immortal being is not subject to death. In the Bible, human beings are mortal. Job 4.17 says, Shall a mortal man be more than his maker? Romans 6.12, Romans 8.11, along with 2 Corinthians 4.11, all describe humans as mortal and subject to death and disease. Human beings seek immortality, but receive it only at the second coming of Christ. Romans 2, 7 and 8 says we seek for immortality, and we will receive immortality at the second coming of Christ. The King James Version of the Bible uses the word soul 1,600 times, but never once does it use the term immortal soul. In the Bible, none of us have an immortal soul. Only God is immortal. The Bible also declares 53 times that death is asleep. Yet many traditional African religions believe in the immortality of the soul, and this based on their ancestral worship. Some Christians teach the immortality of the soul, and this is their way of worshiping dead people and then calling them saints. Where did the idea of the immortal soul come from anyway? Remember the early years of Christianity when the church began mixing pagan doctrine with truth. We studied this in a previous meeting. For instance, that is how Sunday worship and other doctrines came into the church. Historian William Gladstone said, The pagan doctrine of the immortality of the human soul crept into the back door of the church. So the idea of an immortal soul is nothing new. 
There was a Babylonian column of ancestral worship. It read, Ancestral worship is based on the false doctrine of the immortality of the soul. The ancient Egyptians also believed in the same pagan doctrine of the immortality of the soul. In times of old, an Egyptian physician preparing the pharaoh for death believed in immortal parts of the human body. Yes, these beliefs were present in Egypt and Babylon. Ancient pagan Romans also believed in the immortality of the soul, but it was not from the Bible. Satanists believe in the pagan doctrine of the immortality of the soul. They believe and they teach that you shall not die. Satan launched his lie to Eve in the Garden of Eden. You shall not die. You shall be as gods. But the Bible says no. You don't live in an altered state. You simply sleep. The Old Testament Bible writers used the phrase, He slept or he rested with his fathers. This was done to describe the death of the kings of Israel and Judah. Jesus described death as asleep. As Lazarus was dying, a message reached Jesus that he had died. Jesus said to his disciples in John 11:11, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then in verse 12 to 14, the disciples ask, and the Bible says, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. The verse ends by saying, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. On arriving to Lazarus' home, Jesus went to Mary and Martha, they were very sorrowful and disappointed. Look at John 11:21, where Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. If only you would have been here, you would have healed Lazarus. Jesus said to her in John 11:23, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha had learned her religion directly from Jesus. Notice Jesus did not say, Don't cry, Martha. Your brother is in heaven right now. Jesus said to Martha, Your brother is going to rise. Martha then replied to Jesus in John 11:24, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha already believed in the resurrection at the last day and that Jesus had the keys to the grave. But Jesus went to Lazarus' grave and he asked for the stone that sealed the tomb to be rolled away. Martha knew Lazarus died four days earlier. So Martha said in John 11:39, But Lord, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus didn't say, Lazarus, come down. Suppose Lazarus had died and gone to heaven. And Jesus called Lazarus down from heaven. If Jesus had already been in heaven for four days, I think he would have groaned, Lord, please, Lord, I've already been in heaven four days. Don't make me come back there. Would you want to come back from heaven? Think about it. If anybody had a near-death experience, it would have been Lazarus. Christ woke him up after four days in order to point to his own resurrection. 
We need not fear death. Christ is the life giver. In the presence of Christ, death trembles. In order to take the fear of death out of our hearts, 1 Thessalonians 4:16 and 17 tells us, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and, with, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So death, where is your sting? The grave cannot hold its victims. At the coming of Jesus, the graves will open and the dead in Christ will rise. Then verse 17 says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So friends, death is but a sleep. How long are you asleep? Well, the Bible says it seems like an instant, the twinkling of an eye. The next thing you know, Jesus is coming. And for me, when Jesus comes in all of his glory to take us home, I will see my mother and father again. I will see my grandparents who taught me about Jesus. I will see my sister who died too young. When Jesus returns, I will be handed not one, but two babies that didn't live. Can you imagine? When Jesus comes, you will see your loved ones who are sleeping now. They are awaiting the resurrection. In the moment of the twinkling of an eye, can you imagine holding them again? Never to be parted. Just think. Never to be parted again. But didn't Jesus say to the thief on the cross that they would be together in paradise that very day? It's amazing how some can read Ecclesiastics 9.5 For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Then they read Psalms 115.17 The dead praise not the Lord. They read many texts describing death as asleep. But then they take the one text and throw out the rest of the Bible. They keep the one that seems to support what they want to believe. Let's look at the story of the thief on the cross. When Jesus was crucified, there was a thief on either side of him. While dying, one thief said to Jesus in Luke 23:42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered in verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. There it is, some might say. Jesus said the thief would be with him in paradise that very day. But not so fast. It all depends on where you put the comma. There are two options. Number one, assuredly, I say to you, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. Number two, or like this, and Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. This day I'm dying on the cross. This day with this crown of thorns on my head. You see, the Bible was not written with punctuation. Punctuation was added centuries later by the medieval church. The meaning of this text all depends where you put the comma. So let's study. How can we know where to put the comma? Here's how we can know for sure. First, 
Would Jesus tell the thief something that contradicts the rest of the Bible? No, not at all. But let's study further. Second, how would Jesus have meant they would be together in paradise that day, by the way, which was Friday, when Jesus didn't go there until Sunday? Third, the thief on the cross didn't die that Friday. Hence, the soldiers broke his bones, as we read in John 19:31 and 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. They broke the legs of the two thieves so they wouldn't escape. They didn't break Jesus' legs because he was already dead on Friday. But the thieves were still alive. So neither Christ nor the thief were in paradise on Friday. The evidence is clear. The comma was misplaced by those who put in the punctuation later. Let's look at another important detail in our study. Remember, Jesus did not ascend to heaven on the crucifixion day. The Bible is very clear on that. Mary came to the tomb on which day? Sunday. She fell at his feet. And in John 20:17, it tells us, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren. And say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and my God, and your God. Jesus did not go to heaven on Friday. He had not yet been to heaven when he saw Mary on Sunday. So what did Jesus mean when he spoke to the thief on the cross? He said, Verily I say it to you today, this day that I'm dying on the cross, when my body was crushed, broken, and bleeding, when I'm going into the tomb, today I promise you, you will be with me in paradise. What can, why can Jesus promise that? Because in Revelation 1, 17 and 18, Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus Christ has the keys of death. Amen? Amen. Christians never meet for the last time, do they? Loved ones will be together again. One day, Christ the life giver will call his saints together. Husbands and wives will be united again. Babies will be placed in their mother's arms. For now, we live in a sin-dominated world filled with suffering and death. I can't begin to explain death or the loss of your loved ones or mine, but I can assure you one day Jesus will come. Death is a moment. The good news is that you don't have to fear death. Jesus Christ has the key to our death. No one wants to miss being with their loved ones. Soon he will call all of us to life eternal. Amen? Jesus says to you, reach out and grasp my hand. Reach out and surrender your life to me. Reach out and be sure I'm coming soon. Reach out and take my gift of eternal life tonight. Don't wait another day and not another minute. We have a song tonight I'd like to sing. This song is called, It May Be at Morn. And as we sing the first and third verses, I want you to think about those words. Because friends, 
This is the truth for today, and this is our hope for tomorrow. It may be at morn when the day is awaking, when sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking, that Jesus will come in the fullness of glory to receive from the world His own. Oh Lord Jesus, how long, how long, ere we shout the glad song, Christ returneth, in this world and it's in deep trouble Jesus is coming and he's coming soon so we pray oh dear father the devil tries to deceive us with false ideas about death but your word is so plain and so simple when we die we simply rest with no passage of time securely preserved from the heartache the sorrow the disappointment of earth until Jesus comes to take us home. We thank you, Lord, that we can be on your side. We thank you for the hope of it all. We thank you for the fact that we don't need to fear death. It's a rest. It's a sleep until the second coming of Jesus. So deep within our hearts, Father, we all want to be there with you. Thank you for blessing us with this message, Father, and let it always remain in our hearts for we ask in thy name amen a very encouraging and comforting message and i think i speak to 99 percent of you who have lost loved ones and friends and we look forward to this coming to pass when reality will really be now we know by faith but then by sight amen may it come soon